1: This is producer Lan Lee welcoming you to today's Blue Barrel conversation distributed through NBN. If you want to catch all of our episodes, you can search for the Blue Barrel podcast, that's blue the color, B-E-R-Y-L, or find all of our episodes on piercesalguero.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Blue Barrel podcast for intelligent conversations about Buddhism, Asian medicine, and embodied spirituality. I'm your host, Dr. Pierce Salguero, a professor of Asian studies and medical humanities at Penn State's Abington College outside of Philadelphia. Today, I sit down with Venerable Surakulame Pemaratana, Chief abbot at the Pittsburgh Buddhist Center and a scholar of modern Buddhism in Sri Lanka. We talk about his path to becoming a monk and how he found himself in a PhD program in the United States. More importantly, we talk about his role in adapting Buddhist practices to address social and mental health needs during COVID. We also compare Buddhist responses to COVID in Pittsburgh and Sri Lanka. Enjoy the conversation. And if you want to hear more from experts on Buddhist medicine and related topics, subscribe to Blue Barrel for monthly episodes.
2: Thank you for this invitation.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Really, uh, when I was thinking about having this podcast, dedicating the first season to Buddhism and medicine, I thought about you because you last year came to uh, Abington College and gave a great lecture to my undergraduate students about the Buddhist responses to COVID in Sri Lanka Mm. uh, based on your research. And and so you were top on my mind when it came to thinking about guests to have on here to share with us your knowledge and your experience. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much.
0: No problem. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So would you would you mind just um introducing yourself just a couple lines about who you are and what you're doing these days so that our listeners know who they're listening to?
2: So I am uh Surak and uh, I'm a, a Buddhist monk from originally from Sri Lanka, but uh, I live uh, in Pittsburgh Buddhist Center in Pennsylvania. And I have been living uh, in the U.S. since 2008. Uh, And I'm also the chief abbot in this temple. Uh, And I have been teaching and counseling um, different groups of people uh, who are attached to this Buddhist center. Uh, At the same time, also doing my academic research uh, on the contemporary Buddhist practice in Sri Lanka. I taught as a part-time faculty at the University of Pittsburgh, and then I got my postdoctoral fellowship uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, so which I completed at the beginning of this year. And then, since then, I'm working more with my uh, on my book. Oh,
1: is this based on your dissertation?
2: Uh, originally based on my dissertation, but it has you know uh, changed. It has changed its focus now. Yeah in my dissertation work i focus on the modernization of buddhism in sri lanka how buddhism was modernized during colonial and also the post colonial period in the process of globalization and all kind of changes so my advisor at the university of uh, pittsburgh recommended me to uh, focus on the buddhist practice and because i am i was trained as a Uh, in my undergraduate studies and also my master's studies to uh, study more philosophy and more doctrines. But then after I started my PhD program at the University of Pittsburgh, I had to focus on uh, practice and and more like a historical perspective. Uh, So when I focus on uh, uh, modernization of Buddhism in Sri Lanka, it took me a while to recognize that there's a a new way. One of the efforts that was uh, made by the early Buddhist leaders, and then also later uh, many other Buddhist groups is to uh, promote the veneration of the Buddha, the ritual of veneration of the Buddha as a part of uh, emerging Buddhist identity. Uh, So my dissertation was about how uh, the simple act of venerating the Buddha uh, was formalized and also was reinterpreted as a, a mark of Buddhist identity. Uh, in the late 19th and early 20th century, and how it was promoted uh, among the Buddhist uh, population as a practice that one should do as a Buddhist. So if you are a Buddhist, you have to venerate the Buddha, not only at the temples, but also at home. So uh, so I, uh, I, I found early printed liturgical booklets uh, in the archives in Sri Lanka. That is why I noticed a discern a kind of uh, movement that happened during the colonial period uh, to promote the veneration of the Buddha through these printed booklets. Uh, and then uh, then I, I traced that movement uh, from early 20th century all the way to the modern period, uh, and then how it was promoted in different places, in homes, in public schools, and of course in public spaces, and also even the workplaces. So my dissertation is is tracing the utilization of this ritual practice as a way to uh, assert the Buddhist identity and also as a way to like maintain the, the, the Buddhist identity amidst all kind of changes happening uh, in this larger society.
1: Yeah, great. So you are a Theravada Buddhist monk. I think our listeners will be curious to hear how you became a monk.
2: Yes, uh, this is one common question that I get <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> And uh, so I became a monk when I was quite young, and actually I became a novice monk when I was ten years old. Uh, I had a distant uh, grand uncle who was a very religious person. Uh, he inspired me uh, to like commit commit to Buddhist practice, and and he also kind of encouraged me. So and then um, I also uh, uh, liked the temple environment. Whenever I visit a temple with my parents, and I like uh, the, 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 the peace and also the, the neat arrangement in the temple. <laughs> uh, and so I developed this you know, desire to become a monk and be in the temple. So I was close to 10 years old by that time. And I kept asking from my parents that I want to become a monk. Uh, but But I was the first child in the family. I had only one brother and one sister. And my father, my, my mother, especially my mother, didn't like that idea. Uh, but but my, my desire was very strong. And then I really liked to be in the temple. And, and then uh, and I started to threaten my parents that I will stop going to school uh, if they didn't let me go to the temple to become a monk. But then I actually I, I, I informed my grandparents about my desire. And they were very supportive. Uh, of my idea because uh, although my parents didn't like it but if someone becomes a monk uh, it is it is an honor to the family so my grandparents really liked it and and then then they encouraged and influenced my parents to give their permission for uh, uh, for me to become a monk Uh, so after a few months of struggle they finally decided that they will uh, let me go so they actually uh, brought me to that that grand uncle that I was talking about, and he decided uh, to which temple that I should be sent to. So I was sent to a, a little bit far away monastery, is a training monastery where I met my master, and then I was uh, ordained as a novice monk there at the age of ten. Then I started my monastic training and mon- monastic education right there. Of course, in you know, other time, I, when I became a monk, uh, I didn't know anything about monkhood. I just had the, this desire. I like the temple. But I didn't really know what monkhood entails. Nothing but just the, just a desire. But then, of course, when after I went to monastery and when I started to follow the timetable, and I realized that it's not that easy. It was challenging, and I remember sometimes I even cried. And I remember I kept missing my mom, missing my family, everything, and my friends also in the school. But it was not strong enough for me to, like, give up the idea of becoming a monk. <laughs> but then soon I developed a new friendship with also other few candidates, these few boys who were training to become a monk. So I studied and uh, did the chanting, meditation, and then, of course, studying and memorizing the text, uh, and then doing all other monastic duties, like all kind of chores. So when I reached the, uh, the age 20, <clears throat> and then we had to, we have, we have to make a decision Whether we want to uh, go through the higher ordination ceremony in which you become a full monk or you want to return to your normal life. (laughs) So by the age 20, I have developed a different appreciation of monkhood. And then, uh, so at that age, I decided to stay as a monk. So I went through the higher ordination ceremony and became a full monk.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's great, thank you. You said you came to the United States and what was the occasion for you moving here?
2: Uh, during my monastic education, my master uh, encouraged me to study English. Uh, it is not very common because monastic education does not place much emphasis on English. It is on Pali, Sanskrit and the Tripitaka, you know, the Buddhist text. Uh, of course, he also learned other secular subjects too. But my master encouraged me to study English, he supported me, he gave me tutors. So, so I was good at English you know, during that time. And after my, I finished my monastic uh, degree, and then I was able to enroll to a university in Sri Lanka, University of Peradenia, where I did uh, a bachelor's degree in Buddhist studies. And after that, I, uh, my master encouraged me to do my postgraduate studies. So then I went to Thailand and to Singapore to do my master's. And then uh, the group of people here uh, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, immigrants from Sri Lanka, so they wanted uh, a Buddhist temple. So uh, they formed an association. They acquired a land and small house. Uh, so they wanted to start a Buddhist center. But they were looking for a monk who can speak English. <laughs> and I had no plan to come to U.S. I had no plan, and you know, I, I I wanted to do my PhD, my doctorate, because that, that is my master's innovation and he wanted me to finish my studies so i was thinking about maybe i will go back to singapore maybe i'll go back to some part of the asia and i even thought about australia but i had no no idea to come to the u.s it's too far for me almost other side of the globe Uh, so when they invited me i said no i'm fully occupied here i can't come but for some reason (laughs) they kept calling me, you no. Know, once a month, they will call me and reminded me, can you come, have you changed your idea? Uh, so then I thought maybe I'll come for a short while <laughs> because I'm not sure what is the situation here. So I informed the university that, in, because it, it, I was just teaching as a visiting lecturer. So I finished my semester. I told my master that I would like to go and uh, see, you know, what these people are doing. Uh, so I came for a short period, three months period. And then actually I realized that actually this community is, is quite genuine. They really want to learn and practice. And they also want a Buddhist center not only for the Sri Lankan immigrants. They want a Buddhist center for the, the larger community here. Uh, so that, I mean, their interest and their dedication really uh, touched me. You know, I thought that maybe this will be a good uh, a role for me to play also. And then I also visited uh, the universities uh, in this area and was looking for an opportunity whether I can continue my studies so I found that actually I can uh, I can do that too so I went back and informed my master you know uh, the opportunity and then also the service that I can do here so he gave me the permission so so I came <laughs> to serve them and uh, and at the same time I also after E I also started my doctorate program too
1: mm, yeah thank you for telling us that story. So your your research involves studying the modernization of Buddhism in Sri Lanka, and you learned Buddhist studies both in uh, monastic colleges in Asia and then also in this more secular Buddhist studies orientation that we have here in the U.S. And so I'm wondering if there's any kind of uh, tensions or any kinds of uh, conflicts that you found when you started Taking your doctoral courses here in the states, I've, I'm curious about that because we've had we've had on the podcast a number of different people who are both scholars and practitioners of Buddhism, and that's a common theme that they talk about is is this um, a, a struggle to integrate the scholarship and the practice, and finding that they can't really actually fully be themselves in scholarly settings.
0: Mm,
2: I don't. I didn't really find any major conflict because I, mean, I was exposed to this academic and more critical and historical approach to, you know, Buddhism, even in Sri Lanka, when I was studying at the university there. But even at the University of Peradeniya and also at the National University of Singapore, I was focusing more on the Buddhist philosophy. So I was, my my area was epistemology, you know, how you know philosophies, Indian philosophy, Buddhist philosophy, and in Western philosophies, how they you know, talk about you know, how the knowledge is constructed. But, after I came here in the religious studies, you focus more on historical approach and more on actual practice. So the, the questions that we asked and then also the critical and historical uh, uh, perspective we adopted in the university in the, my graduate program it was more on the Buddhist practice rather than the Buddhist doctrines and more on history. history. So I was really enjoying that. And of course, I was also benef- was in, uh, benefited to learn about other religions and and also like the theories of studying religion and and it, it gave me a new perspective. Definitely, you know what you call looking at the religion as an outsider, and I, I enjoyed that to really see even how the Buddhist tradition uh, is uh, how the Buddhist tradition have responded to different historical uh, circumstances and how the Buddhist communities has. I have tried to like adapt to different situations. It was really fascinating story for me. And then also, the I was I, I was teaching at the at my Buddhist center. You know, I was and then I was studying the 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 history of Buddhism and also the uh, the sociology of Buddhism at the university. So it gave me a, a two different perspectives, But I think I, I enjoyed it when I was at university. I was like. Looking at the religion from far, far, far away, so I have a different image, different Buddhism. So, and when I'm in the Buddhist center, I'm teaching more on the insight you know, the philosophy.
1: You feel like they're complementary.
2: They're complementary. Exactly, exactly. Even, even I was able to like be critical about my own practice and even the kind of Buddhist rituals that I perform for the people here. I was able to perform those rituals. Uh, but at the same time, I was, I was able to like, reflect on these rituals, and you know, how this ritual has evolved, and how, how is, they are still evolving. Uh, and then you know, how these rituals are used as tools, maybe as devices, as supporting devices, uh, to, to help people to deal with difficult issues in their lives. So I was able to like, see the utility of the Buddhist rituals and ceremonies uh, in a more psychological and soci- sociological manner.
1: Thank you. So let's transition to the main reason that I wanted to talk to you on the podcast, and that is uh, because I wanted to speak with you about COVID and about the pandemic. I guess the first question I would have for you is: as a Buddhist monk living in a in a in a monastic setting, how was your personal experience and the experience of your community over the last couple of years?
2: Oh, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really a challenging period. Uh, definitely, as a as a Buddhist monk here, and uh, we had to change a lot of things uh, because people used to come to our Buddhist center. We used to gather you know, once a week, and we had we used to have classes for children. People used to come for all the rituals and in you know, all the counselings. So all this has to, has to be changed, and so. Actually, what really happened was that we were inventing our practices. We started a lot of online programs. And during that time, you, this is before the vaccines, and then people were quite afraid also. So they, they have fear, they have uncertainty. So they really needed help, but they can't come to the temple. Uh, so uh, we started online programs. We started some discussions over YouTube and over Zoom. And then we also started chanting programs and which people really appreciated. So they can join our chanting from home. So we had weekly chanting, more like really blessing chanting, and wishing people a strong immunity, a strong mind, a strong body. So people enjoyed it. So we did that. Uh, fortunately, we also had an outdoor Buddha statue in our Buddhist center, other than the main Buddha statue in the meditation hall. We had the outdoor Buddha statue inside the gazebo. So that was real, real useful during pandemic because then the people who really wanted to come, they they can come. So we meet people outdoors, they didn't come inside the temple. So we had some tents in in front of that Buddha statue. So we did offerings, we did chanting, we did transference of merits. Uh, so we were able to do all uh, the different kinds of Buddhist practices uh, and, and venerations of the Buddha using the outdoor Buddha statue. Yeah, and even uh, after a while, we first stopped our meditation and make, make, made it online. But then we made, after many months, people still would like to come to the temple. So we did outdoor meditation, fortunately, during summer. So in front of that statue, we had people sitting far away from each other and we had a nice uh, lawn there. And so people were meditating uh, outdoor in the evening uh, under the candle lights, and it was a nice experience. So, so we, we, we had to kind of <laughs> invent new programs. Um, we used to do birthday ceremonies uh, for people whenever they're having birthdays. So we, if they come to the temple, uh, we will like to do a, like a small chanting and a small uh, blessing service to them. But during pandemics, in, uh, we couldn't do that. So instead, what we did was actually we recorded uh, a blessing chant for birthdays. And then uh, we uploaded that into YouTube. Uh, and then we created uh, a QR code of that video link. And then we created birthday cards with, with our wishes and stick that QR code in the card so it was a challenge but at the same time it was also an opportunity for us to rethink how we conduct our programs Uh, and then one important thing happened actually during that time because parents started to complain or not i mean inform us about the stress of children sometimes they couldn't go to school and even when they started online classes they don't really meet their friends so the children were going through a lot of stress so our parents wanted us to start some program for children. So we started a children's meditation program, which is not only meditation, but more like more, more discussion and also a yoga practice and also meditation. So we started a Sunday uh, children's meditation over Zoom during that time. And we created a program that children can uh, interact, children can enjoy, children can learn uh, the meditation and some techniques to deal with the difficult issues, how to think about the issues differently. Uh, so it was really well received. And even at, up to now, we still continue our children's meditation. Many of the, the programs we started during pandemic period uh, have has, has discontinued, but the children's meditation program is still running. Children, children is still joining us from all different states uh, on Sundays to, do, to join our meditation program. And one other thing we did actually during this pandemic, people were isolated, right? It's, it's social isolation. So, but we didn't want people to feel really isolated mentally. Uh, so we were, we we, we try to like do different programs during that time. For example, uh, like during Christmas, we used to have a Christmas lunch gather and eat together. So, but but because we can't gather, but we did monks as monks. We cook food for the people. We we prepare packets so they can come and collect their packets. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, w- but uh, once a month, we used to have monthly gathering. But once a month, we will start some, we will organize some program and we will post them some kind of card, some kind of souvenir, some kind of thing that they can use it during the monthly program over Zoom. <laughs> uh, so we had some volunteers who, who prepare some craft work. For example, during Valentine's time, we created a nice heart and the board leaf, and we we post that to people so they can have it so during the program they can use it so we we did all kind of things to like keep people engaged and involved and make sure that they they, that they they are not feel isolated or alone during this period
1: yeah it sounds like uh, a lot of very thoughtful development of programs and so forth that that, that you did during that time uh, I'm curious about the ritual practices you mentioned earlier, the chanting and the outdoor gazebo and so forth. and I'm wondering were there specific types of rituals or specific types of chanting that you that you did during that time that were different than what you would normally do specifically for helping people with healing or helping to protect against, um, the
2: illness. Yes, actually. So yeah, definitely we did spec- chanting of a specific sutras because we have a lot of Buddhist sutras and there are certain sutras that are chanted for specific purposes. And similar to what happened in Sri Lanka, we also uh, chanted uh, a Buddhist discourse called Ratana Sutta. The Ratana Sutta is a special discourse in the Buddhist tradition. The this particular sutra was given by the Buddha in a time of uh, like epidemic epidemic uh, in, in India uh, during that time. So the monks in Sri Lanka uh, were chanting that sutra a lot. And we also did chant uh, that sutra here. But we also uh, chanted some other sutras. There are also a set of sutras called Bojangha Sutras, the, the recitation of seven factors of enlightenment. But all this uh, uh, set of bodhjanga sutras was also given by the Buddha to heal the sick monks. So we also chanted those sutras during that time. So we had a weekly chanting session every Friday evening. People will get together at their homes and we will open our Zoom and they can see us, they can see the Buddha statue, they can see the, uh, the, the other symbols. So then we will, uh, ch- uh, we, we chanted them, those uh, specific sutras, focusing on healing and focusing on the protection from, uh, uh, f- from influences. So I actually was
1: gonna ask you, I know that you uh, went back to Sri Lanka in the last couple of years, um, and you did a little bit of research on Buddhist responses to the pandemic in Sri Lanka. So I'm wondering if you can compare a little bit between what was happening at the pittsburgh buddhist center and what was happening in sri lanka
2: yes i think what was happening in the buddhist center we we had the the facility uh, maybe facility to use online uh medium to like to reach people but unfortunately in sri lanka the the online platforms are not not still well established so so One key difference will be that would be that we use a lot of online programs, but in monks and in other Buddhist communities in Sri Lanka, they didn't. uh, They were not able to use that. But I think they use a lot of TV programs and radio programs. Yeah, yeah. But uh, one, maybe you know, one common thing would be like how they how they made sense of this pandemic. You had to come up with an explanation, right? Uh, Not only not only like scientific explanation, but But you have to, you know, come with an explanation, maybe understanding why this global pandemic is here. And one common thing I saw is that many people tend to see that uh, this pandemic uh, is is a result of the moral decline of uh, human beings and particularly violence to animals. Uh, And because human beings are killing so many animals these days uh, without any care or or any uh, compassion, so uh, and and this pandemic is is a kind of result of that lack of compassion to to, to animals. The consequences. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm not so familiar with Sri Lankan Buddhism. I know more about Thai and mainland Southeast Asian Buddhism, and um, in those parts of Asia, Theravada Buddhists tend not to be vegetarian. And I'm I'm wondering in Sri Lanka is it the case that there are more that there's more emphasis on vegetarianism within Buddhism, or is this something new that's coming because of the pandemic? This this emphasis on animal violence.
2: Yeah, I mean Sri Lanka and Buddhists are, are also not necessarily vegetarian. Even monks are not necessarily vegetarians. Uh, but if someone is vegetarian, uh, you consider him or her as a religious person. So. Nobody is imposing one, someone to become vegetarian, but if someone is uh, selected, and usually the monks, so the vegetarianism will be like a mark of uh, serious practitioners. <laughs> but there's also a big difference between eating uh, meat and eating fish, because Sri Lanka being an island, there are a lot of fish, a lot of fishing happening in Sri Lanka. So, uh, so the eating fish and eating of uh, meat is not considered the same. Uh, Level. But uh, vegetarianism is revered, and 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 if someone is vegetarian, you consider him as a good Buddhist. Yeah. So another thing
1: I was wondering about is when you were talking about the initiatives at the Pittsburgh Buddhist Center, you were talking about a lot of them were more about social support and about providing community for people who were, who were in need of community at that time. And I'm imagining that in Sri Lanka, where there are many more Buddhists than in Pittsburgh, that that likely um, the temples were providing a great deal of those kinds of supports for the communities. And I'm, I'm wondering if that was something that you paid attention to when you were there.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, when I visited Sri Lanka, the 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 the, 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 the pandemic was. Uh, was not that severe. The people are coming out of the pandemic during that time, but uh, what I learned talking to people and doing some research is that they, uh, they, they have also used the Buddhist, Buddhist communities and particular Buddhist temples have used both uh, the spiritual kind of healing and practices like chanting and also some kind of social support. Like preparing food for the affected families in the temples, and maybe collecting donation from the uh, people to the temple and distributing it to the you know affected families. But I think the the, the chanting like those days, monks really uh, start to, like chant sometime every day, every week. Sometimes they will chant and they will go around the village and sprinkle you know bless water, uh, and then of course the main. Uh, the shrine in sri lanka the the temple of the you know, tooth of the buddha they they had week long chanting ceremony and then after the conclusion of the chanting uh, and they sprinkle the blessed water uh, in 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 the areas where the the, the the virus has spread a lot so there were some areas that were lockdown areas so they sprinkled this water in in, in those areas and also like simply the presence of the monks in the and the, in the, in the the sound of the chanting is also kind of helping and soothing to people and, and it gives some kind of sense of uh, refuge and security to people. But at the same time, there are also a lot of you know, other social support groups, uh, particularly in Sri Lanka, if someone was, was tested positive in a household and the, uh, the government imposed that in that house is quarantined, so that anyone, any, any member of that house cannot go out. Uh, but then, then how you survive? And we had to remember that there's no online ordering system in Sri Lanka. Of course, in, in maybe in Kalambu and in the city areas, we may have that, but not in villages. So, if one house is quarantined uh, and they have they have no way to you know get their food, get their basic means, they cannot go out. Uh, so, what I found is actually uh, when whenever when one one house is quarantined, the residents of that village, organize themselves to take care of that family. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so once your house is quarantined, they would keep a table in front in front of their house uh, and in front of that gate, actually. Uh, and then the, the villagers, they will volunteer to bring breakfast, lunch, and dinner to these people. <laughs> so whoever bring break, breakfast will bring breakfast and keep that food on the table. And the, the people who volunteer to provide lunch will bring and keep, will, will keep that lunch on the table. So those people, house, the residents will come out and when there is nobody's there and, and take that food in. And they even don't know who actually, you know, kept that food for them. But then after two weeks, they, their quarantine uh, period is over they'll be recovered and then if someone else got sick in some in another house was quarantined, and they will be the part of the supporting system so that's that's one way that they supported each other but there are also like you know big organizations who are actually who are distributing dry foods even at temples Started to, to distribute dry foods and particularly not only the people who are affected, who are actually tested positive, but also the, the people who lost their livelihood because nobody's traveling along the roads and then the people who had daily wages. They had a lot of issues and problems too. So, temples and Buddhist organizations collected funds and sometimes used whatever their existing funds and distributed dry food and everything. I also noticed that there were also people and some groups. Who are actually feeding stray dogs and stray cats? Uh, because in Sri Lanka we have a lot of stray dogs. Uh, and they don't belong to anyone, but they simply live in intersections along the roads, and they are by themselves. They have their own life, uh, but they simply live by leftover food by the shop, or in the shops, or maybe in the houses. So during this time, you know, they were in big trouble because the people don't come to shops. There are no like no restaurants. Uh, people didn't come to restaurants, so. I saw that some groups actually preparing food and going to all these different intersections and and areas and then distributing uh, these foods to the stray cats and the stray dogs. Yeah,
1: now that ties back to kindness towards animals, right? That was uh, something you were talking <laughs> yes, about earlier. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, what about meditation? Uh, meditation as either a way of coping with the stress and the fear of the pandemic, but then also meditation maybe as a, a remedy or as a way of, of dealing with the, the infection, of, with the virus itself? Was that a thing in Sri Lanka?
0: Mm,
2: I noticed uh, uh, the two main efforts made by uh, monks and Buddhist groups that, is re- that are related to meditation. Uh, one group actually started a program called uh, act of truth in Buddhist tradition we have this uh, practice called Satya or satya kriya or what you call act of truth that if you follow a particular if you follow a certain precepts if you had a really good committed you know religious practice uh, and then you can use that uh, committed practice as a base to make an uh make a uh, uh, make a resolution. Uh, make a maybe make a command. <laughs> so we call it Kiriya, right? So uh, there's one Buddhist organization, uh, and they uh, they had big membership all over the country. So they uh, contacted all their members. So they uh, they were, they asked those members to follow precepts in certain days, extra precepts in certain days, and then come together at one time. All the group will get together at one time, and they will all. Uh, sat down and do a deep meditation and then they will all do what they call uh, act of truth or such a career and they will make a, a wish or maybe command or resolution by the truthfulness truthfulness of, of my practice uh, and may this pandemic be over and may the people get recovered. So so it's a kind of a form of meditation but more like a collective meditative effort that different people all over the country are doing same thing at the same time. Uh, the other uh, effort was actually, uh, as you mentioned, encouraging people to use meditation as a way of, get rid of getting rid of the fear. And then also promoting mindfulness as a way of uh, keeping one's hygiene, uh, making sure that you don't unwittingly you know, touch your face, uh, and then making sure that you don't come closer to the other person, and making sure to you know, keep your social distance. Uh, and then the, there are also monks who encourage people to like, if you have daily meditation practice, you will not be afraid of any sickness, and that you know fearlessness will develop your immunity. So uh, there was one monk who is actually promoting more committed meditation practice during the time of pandemic to stay fearless and stay safe. So th- those are the two main efforts I I, I noticed, there could there could have been many more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I know that in in Asia, there was a lot of um, interest in using traditional medicine for treatment or for prevention of COVID. And I'm wondering to what extent um, at the Pittsburgh Buddhist Center, you were able to acquire... Medicines or use any kind of traditional Ayurvedic medicines or other kinds of medicines from from Asia um, for yourselves or for your community was that something that you were able to
2: to do or interested in doing? Actually, we we received a lot of herbal medicines uh, from people because as soon as this pandemic hit, many people were like returning to their indigenous medicines, and many Sri Lankans living in the US started to send us. Are the herbal drinks uh, and many many types of herbal drinks to keep our immunity strong so we, we started drinking them you know we, one common thing that we drank during that time was coriander roasted coriander uh, and uh, but but as a buddhist center we did not uh, uh, promote or like or distributed any herbs or any herbal drinks i think i remember once even we encourage even americans to drink uh uh, the 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 boiled water of coriander Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we did not uh, distribute any uh, herbs or any medicine uh, from Mm. the buddhist center
1: so is coriander water something that's very common in Sri Lanka when you become sick or, or...
2: Yeah, I mean, for any kind of respiratory problems, people will use coriander powder, coriander drinks in Sri Lanka. And it has been common for, for I mean, even well before the COVID. So once the COVID hit, actually many people started to like, drink more coriander uh, and then also they also start to use a lot of ginger they 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 will add ginger to coriander in a water and then they will they drink it yeah it is a most common thing in in sri lanka even even like you know i remember that even when we got flu or any kind of uh, that kind of flu related sickness we used to drink coriander
1: hmm. i wish i do that last week i was very sick with the respiratory illness and i, <laughs> I could have used some yeah, coriander you can try <laughs> you can
2: try you can try whether there's any any effect on yeah, I'm that. I'm still
1: recovering a little bit. My voice, I think, is a little bit uh, scratchy still. Yeah. So I wanted to acknowledge the fact that Sri Lanka has been in a rather dire political and economic situation for the last couple of years, following from the pandemic. And I think you were you were there at a particularly difficult time. And so I I, I wanted to express my own good wishes for Sri Lankan people and for your family and for other people that are there. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with us how you see the current situation in Sri Lanka affecting people's relationship with Buddhism. Has Have the temples been instrumental in helping people to weather that, those storms?
2: Yeah, thank, thank you for your concern and and good wishes, you know, it's definitely, you know, uh, many people in Sri Lanka is going through a really, really difficult time. And of course, COVID pandemic instigated this you know, economic downturn. But I think even well before that, uh, Sri Lanka didn't have a good, uh, strong economy. Of course, people are going through a lot of difficulties. Many people have, are having issues even to, like, find their basic needs. And political situation is also not that stable. And I think the, the government is trying to get more help from IMF and other countries. So I don't know how successful they're going to be. But at the local level, at the local level, the Buddhist organization, Buddhist groups are trying to help the local community. That is happening that as of, as far as uh, my, my, my own temple is concerned, and I have been uh, I, I, I have been collecting donations from people here. Uh, and then I, I'm sending donation to Sri Lanka to help uh, school children to get their stationery and school bags for the, the, for the new year. So that's, that's one thing I, I know personally that I, I'm helping and my master is also organizing a program to help pregnant mothers uh, to, because when they are about to deliver, they need basic things uh, to support the baby. Uh, and so my master is also organizing a program to distribute those items and requisites for pregnant mothers. Uh, so there, there are those small efforts happening uh, in the tem- around the temples and Buddhist organizations and but at the national level uh, I have no idea what kind of uh, changes uh, are occurring there hmm. but we'll be able to see in future.
1: Well that's great. We'll definitely put links in the show notes so that listeners can make a contribution to some of those efforts that you're, that you're talking about. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for mentioning that.
2: Sri Lanka is also, I mean, it, it it used to be a a good tourist destination. (laughs) And then during pandemic, it lost its tourist population that also impacted uh the the economy and particularly the in uh, the flow of the foreign currency that impacted a lot too yeah. so so travel so to sri lanka can... <laughs> yeah, that will be one way to help you know?
1: yeah sri lanka is a place that i've never been but it's been a dream of mine to go there so i'll have to to do that soon to be able to support the economy <laughs> okay so, Venerable uh, Pimaratna, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to talk about. Is there anything that we missed yeah. that I didn't think to ask you about or any, any upcoming projects that you want to uh, promote or discuss
2: or, or anything that you wanted to add before we close up?
0: Yeah,
2: I think one thing uh, uh, I forgot to mention about what was happening in Sri Lanka is the efforts by local groups to experiment on different indigenous medicines. Um, and and there, uh, so, of course, as I told you, during the pandemic, the people were more interested in, in indigenous medicine before the vaccine and even after the vaccine. And then uh, there, were, there were national effort. You know, of course, there were the National Committee of Ayurvedic you know, doctors, they produce a, a product, uh, what they call immune, immunity booster. So it was funded by the government and they produce that boost it's like a herbal drink uh, a mixture of a few I- ingredients in the herbal ingredients and so then then they they release it to market but at the same time there are also local groups who are actually experimenting with different recipes and different uh, 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 herbal mix uh, to treat people so they will go to like infected families and they will give this drink and see whether there's an impact on them so I came to know about few you know local groups actually who are producing their own uh, herbal drink uh, and with their own recipes and then and helping the community. So that that is one effort that was happening at the time in Sri Lanka.
1: Yeah, that that's interesting. I think we've been hearing about similar experimentations all across Asia with all sorts of different traditional medicine, uh, indigenous medicine recipes, and and. You know, I, I I don't know how much formal research has been done everywhere, but some of them have been um, have been researched and have been shown to actually have some some benefit. So that's that's a really interesting trend. I wonder if this whole pandemic is going to raise the profile of traditional medicines in Asia, like it locally.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they, it it will. Yeah, it will. I think people uh, uh, develop more uh, trust in those medicines after they start to use them. So. Uh, maybe we need to do more, more actual testings to, to really to realize the actual the, the uh, effect of them. But I think in terms of the attitude, I think uh, people have uh, more trust in the indigenous and traditional medicines now.
1: Yeah, well we'll see in the future. So uh, you are a Buddhist monastic, you are a Dharma teacher. You have been leading a community through the pandemic and doing all of this observation in Sri Lanka, um, and I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners some uh, some Buddhist advice. What does Buddhism offer us in moments of fear and distress and illness and mass death like the COVID-19 pandemic? What 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 resources can we draw from Buddhism? if we are not already Buddhist? Is that a fair question?
2: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I'm just thinking, you know, what, what Buddhism can offer to people who are not necessarily Buddhist. One remedy, maybe one resource that Buddhism can offer would be like how we can use our mind to overcome our physical uh, illnesses and diseases. And of course, during this kind of pandemic, we are definitely stressed. We are definitely f- are fearful. And, and then and when, we are, when, we, when we get sick, definitely. Uh, and we are also weak physically. But I think one, one thing that Buddhism can offer is that how even though our body is sick, even though our society is uh, in danger, or maybe society is in disorder, uh, we can still use our mind. And, and 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 that's 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 the one thing that we can have some control. So with regard to our body, we have less control. <laughs> with regard to our natural environment, we, we can influence it a lot, but we have less control of the the natural system. But I think the the area that we have some control, area that we uh, we can do something, is uh, is our mind, which is not even is still easy. So, but I think that will be the, the message that Buddhism can offer that if we, if we pay attention to our own mind and if we keep our mind uh, with some positive thoughts, uh, for example, you be grateful to whatever you have. You know, although you, you have lost so many things, although you are going through such a difficult time, but there can be so many other things that you are still having. And so be developing some kind of gratitude uh, towards, what, you know, towards, towards the life, towards everyone. Uh, And then also developing some empathy uh, with the other suffering people and loving kindness and developing all these wholesome thoughts uh, can be uh, a healing factor to our own body. Uh, And then such thoughts will also gradually help us to heal the larger community too. So because we have empathy and compassion, we will try our best not to uh, increase that pain or suffering. We will be careful not to be a spreader of the virus or maybe not to be contribute any in any way to like to increase the pandemic situation Uh, so that will be one thing that buddhism will be able to offer like showing that how we can look at our own mind and 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 maybe train it a little bit and maybe navigate our mind and and try our best to like pay attention to things that are hidden from us and pay attention to our own things that we can be grateful for, and also to pay attention to the suffering of others and developing empathy and compassion. And so, once we have the compassion and, and for the pain for the others, and, and it gives you kind of capacity to to endure that pain, but at the same time do something to alleviate that pain. So, so by by changing the mind, we will be able to you know uh, change the body and change the society definitely. So, by first taking care of the mind, you can heal the body and then gradually heal the community around you.
1: Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a great place for us to wrap up our conversation a great final thought to leave people with. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you so much for, for being with us today.
2: And yeah. And thank you. Thank you very much for this invitation. I really enjoyed this conversation and, and reflecting on the things. And I mean, reflecting on the difficult times that we had and then now we can have we can we can enjoy talking about it right when we are going through that difficult time it was not it was not it was not fun but now looking back uh, at them is is a learning experience and it's a it's joyful thing so thank you very much for uh, allowing that opportunity for me and for many others uh, to look back our difficult times and then and, and be happy be, be happy about how we spend that time yeah
1: great have have a wonderful rest of your day thank you so much
0: yes <laughs> Sabbh buddh nubhavene Sada sotn bhavantu te Bhavatu sabbh mangalam angrakan kantu sabbh devata Sabbh dhang manu bhavene Sada te Bhavatu sabbha mangalang rakkantu sabbha divata sabbha sangha bhavaṅtu ti.
1: May all beings be happy. Yes. <sighs> Wonderful. Thank you for that blessing.
2: Most welcome.
1: Yeah. That is it for today from us at the Blue Barrel Podcast. This episode was hosted by Pierce Alguero and produced and edited by me, Lan Lee. All of our music is by Jonathan Pettit. If you're listening to us on one of our partner podcasts, make sure to catch all of our episodes on PierceAlguero.com or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also support us by making a donation at patreon.com slash bluebarrel. Until next time, be happy and be well.